I'm going to go in reverse order today and just start with talking. Um, I want to talk about change, which I know is like really it's a normal thing in your guys' life. How, how many of you have heard me speak? So a good grip of you. So. Uh, for those of you who don't know, my name is Josh. I'm 39. I'm not 20. Um, <laughs> I've been a pastor for 16 years, and I'm uh, the senior pastor over at the Lakeview Bible Fellowship, which is where those two come from. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Um, so in our lives, I did this last time too. In our lives, things change, which is something you guys know. Um, we're finite creatures. Uh, we're finite, unlike the God who made us. We live our lives as breakable. We live our lives as unsure. And just when we think that we figured something out, it's gone, or we've or we've gone from it. We live our life in stages. In the pop culture of Christianity, this is um, oftentimes called seasons, right? And I, I don't personally like that term because it implies a recycling of sorts, as if there are some opportunities that um, are not just lost. The truth is, is that some opportunities are just lost, and they can't be recycled uh, because of the passage of time because we're finite. We have to realize that sometimes things just die, which is true. And oftentimes we have this idea that things will bloom again when they don't. Truthfully, there are some things that will never bloom again. There are some opportunities which are forever lost. And I think it's really important to admit that truth and deal with it rather than pretend that the loss of that doesn't have an impact on who we are, who I am. And that's the nature of our lives as finite. That's who God created us to be. We live in the now. We don't live in the future, and we don't live in the past. We live now. Part of the measure of a successful human being is accepting and adapting to that fact and living life today in this moment. And surely, this is the line with which you've been taught. I mean, surely it's a truism of all of the success stories that you have in your life. I don't need to tell you to live in the now. Everybody knows that you're supposed to live in the now. You know that. You take every day as it comes, right? Take each day one step at a time. But there's two ways that we can do this. One way is distinctly utilitarian. It says... For the sake of my ability to function in the now, I have to lean into the fact that I'm powerless. And on the surface, I'm okay with that. It's true, it's, it's at its core essentially honest, but here's the thing, it's the idea that we can't function unless we take each day at a time. And instead of just accepting that, I, I wanna ask why? Why is it, why is that? What I want to talk with you about today is specifically that question in regard to change. Why should I slow down? Why should I take one day at a time? Why should I accept change? I don't know about you, but in my time as a pastor, in my time in ministry, I've been led to the conclusion that without answering that question, 
without uh, allowing the answers to that question to, to flow into how I do things without meeting the mind of the problem and just trying to answer the mechanics of it, I can't really maintain the concept of one day at a time very well. I can't do it for very long unless I can answer why. I kind of think of it in regard to childbirth. I have two kids and I've been in four or five births, um, like in the actual room helping. Um, so I feel like, you know, I'm not a mom, but I've experienced it to some degree. And what I know is that a mother-to-be suffers through the pains of labor, not because of fun, but because she's chasing that feeling of assurance and joy that comes when she first hears a newborn's cries. It's crazy to me to see somebody who's in such pain and is, you know, moaning and screaming and crying the moment that child comes out, all of a sudden, it's like it never happened. It's, re it's, it's really a phenomenon. James, in the first chapter of his book, puts it like this. James uh, 1, 2 through 4. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Paul in Romans 12, 12 says it succinctly. He says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. So here's the key. Be joyful in hope. At the end of a terrible day, which we all have, how can we look to reset the machine and start all over again unless what fuels that reset is a sense of hope? So for you who live every day, day by day, some people have the luxury not to, but for you who live every day, day by day, for you who depend on that machine being reset every day, my question is why? Why should you be hopeful? What are you looking forward to? And better yet, how often do you sit and enjoy this hope about the future? And I know that you know what it is to see a relationship breaking, and to say to your child, don't worry that everything will be all right. Counsel many people who go through that. To know that tomorrow's problems are carried over from today, not being able to tell your child that. That tomorrow, just like today, there's no more money, there's no more food. But to have to tell them with a smile that everything will be okay, all while fighting back the tears inside because you've no reason to actually believe it. In that case, the hope isn't really rational, and it's not actually joyful, and no, it, no matter how much love it comes from, it doesn't change that truth. What does that type of pressure lead to? What does that type of cognitive dissonance do for you? What does that sort of lying lead to? That sort of fake it till you make it mentality that works for the uninitiated. It works to the person who never went hungry. It works to the person who never experienced pain or never had something taken from them. But for those of us who know, we know that that type of pain has to find its way out somewhere. This pile of pain that you've stashed in your darkest places to protect those who you love 
it doesn't get smaller over time, right? It gets rotten, it gets bigger. It takes over your house, it attracts pests, becomes toxic in your life. We thought that we were making it better because we were putting on a good face, but instead we were hoarding. We were hoarding a lie that everything is okay as long as we don't look at it. But here's the thing, where's the joy in that hope? Hope is a confident expectation that something will happen because it's reasonable. If I work at a job that has a history of paying me on time, then I can have a confident hope that it'll pay me on time again. Then I can base my life on that. But when I don't have money in my wallet, I can keep working. I can keep working through a difficult and lean time because I know that a real and reliable payday is just around the corner. And that allows me to have hope. And so often we don't even have that. We instead have this blissful ignorance in our wishes. We've all either seen or been that person who went to every other person telling them their plans about how they're going to make a bunch of money on this idea. And that once, once we see that person you know, talking about that, um, you can see that their eyes like light up. And they put a smile on their face. But the truth is, is that we've all heard that from that person multiple times. And we know that it's just a wish. A pipe dream is what they call it. It's not a hope when it doesn't come true. It only fuels for them the narrative that they're not worthwhile when it doesn't come true. Or that they're not significant. And that leads them to level charges at God. It leads them to level charges at the people around them, blaming everyone but themselves for the fact that they based their future on ideas that had no basis in reality. Because a wish is not hope. It's just ignorant bliss. So if I'm locked in today and I can't know tomorrow, if everything changes and there's nothing that I can do to stop it and little that I can do to control it, if I can't just move from one day to the next because that's how the machine operates, if all of that leads ultimately to depression, then where do I find joy? And where do I find my hope when faced with the concept of tomorrow? If I don't have joy or hope in tomorrow, then the harsh reality is that tomorrow is a concept that tortures me instead of frees me. But consider the words of the nation Israelite prophet Jeremiah. He was known as the weeping prophet. He was known as the weeping prophet because he was so overwhelmed with the realities of his day. And he notes this in chapter 3, uh, verses 22 through 23. He says this, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. They're short words, but they're profound in idea. So let's take a moment to unpack the idea. God's love never ends, particularly his mercy towards his creation. They re-up every single day, and he's faithful beyond his space and time. So what does that mean? Do you remember the first time that you realized 
that what you had gotten yourself into was something of an adult level mess. Remember when you first said to yourself, this is, this is some heavy, this is really heavy. <laughs> that was you recognizing that you couldn't go back to being a kid. Right? We've all had that experience. You were realizing you couldn't go back to being a kid. And all of a sudden your actions, they mean something now beyond what you can handle. The world isn't necessarily safe. The curtain has been pulled back and you are no longer safe because the world is bigger and meaner and harsher than what you thought you were. <coughs> and this verse, it puts the curtain back. It puts the curtain back. And it says that every day God is there, refreshing, re-upping his grace for you, making your world safe. In the Garden of Eden, when we took the, the fruit, and we as, as a race under our federal head, Adam, made this adult decision to defy God, we got adult consequences. We could never go back. But through Jesus, we can. And when we come back to him, we don't have to worry about that anymore. We've got breathing room now. We can put our confidence in two simple truths. God is bigger than all of that, and he's with us every day. Psalm 118, verse 24, puts it like this. This is the day that the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. The mindset to have joy is easy enough to have when it's been a good day, right? But the sentiment only really carries weight when it's been a bad day. When your world is falling apart and you're at peace, not out of blissful ignorance or some sense that maybe tomorrow will be better, but because you know that your God is bigger, you know that tomorrow brings a new day of seeing his grace overcome every suffering. And so because of this, you can face tomorrow and you want to face tomorrow. You're thankful not to be done with today, but to add another day, and another day, and another day, to be able to sit in awe of his grace in your life. And this is where true joy and true hope come in and come from. And that realization only comes from knowing God in real space and real time. And I can tell you about God all I want to, but to know the joy and the hope that I know, even in the midst of my own sufferings, you have to be open to knowing him on your own. And you have to ask him into your life. And more so than that, you have to be willing to walk with him. The Apostle Paul states this, Romans 8, 31 through 39. If God is for us, who could ever be against us? And since he didn't spare even his own son, but gave him up for all of us, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us 
and he's sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. <coughs> Excuse me. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have tra trouble or calamity? If we're persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we're killed every day. We're being slaughtered like sheep. No. Despite all of these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor fears for today, or our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's the joy and the hope that fills your tomorrow when you choose to know God. In this truth, there's joy and hope enough for every tomorrow. Through every trial, in the midst of every change, despite every failure. And because of this, this transcendent love, our finiteness, our smallness, our weakness, then becomes a gift. Through it, we get to see a new picture. A new picture every day of how God can love us. Because he's bigger than all of that. He's the faithful one in our relationship, even when we're not. Without this knowledge, this joy, this hope, this relationship, tomorrow it's just another day to be hurt. Changes will come into your life. We, we don't know what tomorrow brings. The things that you hold dear, the relationships that you form, they fade at best and they're taken from you at worst. Your world, it seems stable and then the rug is ripped out. It's ripped out from underneath you and it just all comes crashing down at any moment. In those moments, it's not only important that you remember to take every day, one day at a time. It's vital that you remember why. And if you can't remember why, then learn. Take one day at a time because every day is a gift. Because on that day, no matter the worst thing that's thrown at you, God loves you. God is there, and he's not silent, and he's calling you to himself on your worst day. And your worst day is always a good day because you're loved by God. Because the one who loves you loves you beyond any definition, beyond any boundary, so much that he died for you. He sees you in your depths of your secrets and shame and he clothes you and offers you a redemption that outlasts the consequences of that shame. Experiencing my finiteness and acknowledging his infiniteness, the mercy and grace and faithfulness of the one who loves me is new every morning. Don't let tomorrow just be another day to be hurt again. Walk into the changes and frailties of this life, resting in the faithfulness of a God who doesn't change. That's what I have to share. Thank you.